0: A Matter of Spirit is the Quarterly Justice Journal of the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center. This article appeared in the Winter 2021 issue on Economic Justice. Essential Workers, Essential Rights by Kevin J. Schilling Kevin J. Schilling is a member of the Burien City Council. He attended Washington State University for his undergraduate degree and Columbia University in New York and the London School of Economics and Political Science for graduate school. Miriam was the first person I knew to get COVID. As a hairstylist, she relies on a steady stream of customers in order to pay the bills. Lockdown forced her out of work. Eager to get back, Miriam made all the precautions necessary to return to work. What happened the first week back? She got COVID. I have known her my whole life. We lived down the street from one another in Burien, Washington. When I heard that she got COVID the first week back on the job, I was empathetic to her situation. Imagine that on top of a full day's work, you are a parent needing to accommodate your kid switching to online learning. Imagine the stress of a single parent navigating this new world order. Prioritizing your need to maintain a busy work schedule to not miss out on a full paycheck and the educational needs of your child now entirely at home online. Imagine all the essential workers who stock grocery shelves, build our infrastructure, drive buses, deliver goods in the wee hours, grow and harvest our food, clean houses or hospitals, care for children and seniors, nurse the sick, and teach the next generation who became stressed beyond belief with the new requirements of our national situation. COVID reminds us that the economy should exist for people, not the other way around. Our country asks essential workers to sacrifice more than others. Now, what is our country going to do in return? Overall, the U.S. has a child poverty rate of 16%, and women on average make 18% less than men annually. Women are the major breadwinner in almost half of all households with children and earn 30% less than men. This wage gap is widest for most mothers of color, 47% for Latina, 43% for Native American, 37% for Black, 21% for White, and 10% for Asian women. Eliminate the wage gap and women would have enough money for a year of childcare, community college, tuition, food, or six months of health insurance or mortgage payments. This is not a difficult decision to make. It takes the courage and will of the government to implement these requirements and the private sector to pay their workers to ensure that mothers are paid equally for the sake of their families, businesses, and the economy at large. COVID has made evident that essential workers are the backbone of our economy. We need to reorient our government programs and our private sector benefits to compensate workers commensurate with their essentialness. I acknowledge a pro-worker shift of our government and private sector is not something that will happen overnight and is certainly not an ideological movement that utilizes a monolithic philosophy. However, it is incumbent on us as local communities that form a national identity to decide through political power that it is time for us to provide a living wage for those that work to keep our social fabric together. First and foremost, we need to prioritize education and child care. The pandemic showed that the ultimate need of families is for the school system to provide the basic needs of children, education, nutrition, and social experiences. Without the in-person system in place, students miss opportunities and parents miss work. Our country needs to prioritize children and education by implementing universal child care and education programs. Similarly, we need to make the necessary programs available for pregnant women and single moms to know that they are societal priority. Cities and municipalities should work with churches and nonprofits to orchestrate home visits and support for these women who are the backbone of any social framework. Linking these single parents to willing grandparents in their geographical and community faith groups could help lighten their loads and bring needed solace to their burdens. These single parents, as well as children who were depending on schools for learning, all have been enclaved in their homes for the past several months. That, of course, Is only possible with a home to shelter them in. Counties and states, for the most part, recognize that housing is an essential right for all and adopted impressive rental assistance programs. Research shows that the number one way to keep people housed is to assist them in times of possible eviction. Rental assistance programs should become a natural and normal function of local governments for the future. Keeping parents and children housed reduces frequent moves and limits school transitions that contribute to difficulties in student learning, improves their health, and reduces the number of homeless individuals in our communities. The argument of this article has been twofold. The first is that the essential nature of these workers was not discovered in the pandemic but was highlighted. In doing so, society cannot retreat from our now-established position that these workers sacrifice more and work hard to keep our nation functioning. Therefore, I argued for common-sense government and private sector programs to ensure that benefits exist for single parents, working moms, and the underpaid to provide a living wage and safe and secure homes. The political will to recognize the vital importance that workers play in our social fabric requires communities to hold elected officials accountable for their decisions that help or hurt working people. Our political will needs to reflect our spiritual will that recognizes the dignity of life and work so that single parents, women, and children can stay housed, employed, and fed and never have to worry about losing access to basic human needs.